Hey there, Blues fans. Brent Mutis here. This will be episode five of the Capu Blues podcast, and thanks again for joining us. But before we get into the episode, we wanted to bring you some news from the Blues Athletics Department. Big news that just came down this week is longtime Blues Athletic Director Milt Williams, who spent 28 years as a part of Capilano University, announced his retirement this past week and is going to leave a big hole in the Blues Athletics Department. We want to salute Milt and thank him for all his service to Cap U and student-athletes over the years and the role he's played in campus recreation. So again, Milt Williams retiring after 28 years on the job, and you're going to want to actually stick around and listen to this particular episode because there's a couple of pretty decent Milt stories that, uh, that our guest today has in store. So without further ado, let's get into episode number five. Welcome to episode five of the Capilano Blues podcast, and we're uh, so excited to be joined by our next guest. He's a provincial champion from the men's volleyball team, uh, Alex Pappas. Thanks for jumping on and uh, catching up with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, we start off all of our episodes just kind of getting a sense from the guests. Um, where are you right now, and what's the last year been like for you? Uh, so right now I am living in Burnby and uh, just plugging away working. Uh, the last year has been, you know, it's been interesting, same as everyone else, I'm sure. Uh, I am, I can't complain about how I've had it. You know, I, I've been living with, with the fiance. Uh, we bought a place during COVID and, you know, I've been able to keep my job through all this. So I have absolutely nothing to complain about. And uh, yeah, we're just kind of taking it one day at a time. Nice. Now, uh, before we go too too much further, your fiance is also kind of blues royalty, uh, and <laughs> yeah. kind of keeping with the trend of our guests here, who have kind of like met life partners and uh, made, you know, met the met the people that they're going to be with uh, through blues athletics. And so, maybe just catch us up to speed real quick before we go too much further on that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Jackie is doing well. Jackie Kiverly. Uh So she was a libero at Capilano. Uh, she started a year before me, and then we met in my first year, her second year, uh, which uh, coincidentally, the day we're recording this podcast, uh, May 25th, we are celebrating our 10 years together. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that worked out. Um, but yeah, she is currently working. She's an accountant at KPMG. She's a manager there, and uh, she is working you know, ridiculous hours that accountants do, but uh, she's doing really well, and she's been getting a little bit uh, back into volleyball. She's been playing some beach with some friends, so... Yeah, it's been good. That's awesome. We're, we'll touch a little bit more on your guys' careers, which kind of coincided, like you said, as we for get sure. a little bit further on down the road here. But thanks for that update. 10 years today. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, so to just kind of set the scene of your of your formative years, like where did you grow up and what, uh, what sports were you involved in as a young guy? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, I went to Killarney Secondary. And uh, I mean, I played volleyball there every year from grade to 12, but uh, along the way, I was playing other sports as well, tried to do as many sports as I could. You know, I played on the rugby team for, for a year in grade eight, and then my mom came to one game and saw a kid get his arm broken, so no more rugby for me. <laughs> um, but I uh, played basketball every year through as well, and basketball is actually uh, uh, my main sport. I was a lot better at basketball than it was at volleyball. But uh, I was lucky enough to have 
some really good coaches throughout my high school career that really made me fall in love with the game. Um, it wasn't necessarily my passion at the time. Uh, like I said, I was a basketball guy and I had one of those coaches who uh, would chirp me for being on the basketball for being on the volleyball team. Uh, you know, you say, why are you wasting your time on that sport? Um, but, you know, we kept at it and kept playing. Uh, coming out of high school, I wasn't a great volleyball player by any means. I actually never played a day of club in my life. I didn't wow. even know what club was. So um, I started out with my more, I guess you can say, high-performance volleyball career by refereeing. Huh. Yeah. I had some, um, some friends in high school who were referees at the time and were, were pretty good referees. Invited me out to do a clinic. And from there, I'd start refereeing, you know, all over and started learning more about the game and, and started seeing this other side of the game. Because all I really knew was, oh, high school volleyball. Okay, right. cool. That's it. Or maybe, you know, UBC was floated in the background of, oh, you can go watch a game at UBC. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just started doing that. Started refing some better games, seeing the club system, uh, and then started lining some of the college university matches and getting involved that way and it really, uh, refereeing actually is what made it really fun to be around the sport. And of course it didn't hurt that I was being paid to be there. Right. But yeah. Huh. What an entry, sort of an interesting entry point into the sport, not what you typically hear, but, um, it sort of, it makes me interested to hear what you're going to say as we get into my next question, which is, um, like as you're finishing up high school, like obviously I, I assume at that point, refereeing is fairly important in your life, taking up a fair amount of your time, finishing up grade 12, like, how does the process of getting recruited to Blues Volleyball go at that point? Yeah, so that one actually took quite a bit longer than, uh, than most people, I would say. Uh, I went to Langara College first, right out of high school. Okay. And um, uh, I was actually at a drop-in one day at Harry Jerome and Burnaby. And we ended up playing with some people that we recognized as being you know, from other schools around the same age. And a couple of people on the court were actually playing at Capilano on the time, uh, at the time. So uh, from that day, we actually started to become friends and, you know, we'd go to drop-ins together and play as much as we could. Uh, they were way better than me at volleyball, <laughs> so I tried to absorb as much as I could. Um, and at the same time, they were actually all coaching for a club in Vancouver called Apex Volleyball Club. So right. they had invited me along, and I started coaching with Apex and was around volleyball, you know, a lot more, learning a lot more, starting involved with other people who had more experience. Uh, at the same time, um, while I was going to Langara and playing post-secondary, uh, sorry, not playing post-secondary, I was right. uh, refereeing and mm -hmm. seeing these matches and being around the matches. So there was one day when I was talking to them and they just said, you know, why don't you go talk to one of our coaches and tell them you're interested, right? So after a game that I lined, made sure it was after, so it didn't look like I was trying <laughs> to play favorites. <laughs> right. Um, I went over and told the coach, like, hey, you know what? I'm interested in playing volleyball at Capilano. Yeah, I currently go to Langara, but I'm finishing my diploma and I want to make a change. He said, yeah, tell you what, send me an email. And uh, that was actually our, the assistant coach, Paul Tudor, okay. who I talked to. And he invited me to some open gyms in the summer and then invited me to come try out in September when the, the new coach rolled in. Okay. So from there, I actually um, never really got recruited. I showed up in September busted my ass and earned a red, sh a red shirt spot on the team. Okay. Wow. What a story. I mean, that's so atypical. I mean, I, 
I haven't heard anything quite like that before, but so you did two years at Langara, like you finished your program there before you came. So you were probably 20 years old coming to cap for the first time, something like that. Yeah. I, uh, I did three years at Langara. I was not okay. very good in school, so I had to go a lot slower. Okay. <laughs> um, and then when I was 21, I started with cap. So I was definitely older than a bunch of the guys. Yeah. And, uh, Got the nickname Team Dad because I was not only older, but I was yeah. You're old to take guy, care of the boys. 21 years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, walk me through that first semester at CAP. I mean, I guess Paul, was was he still there as an assistant coach? And like, who was the head guy? And what do you remember about those early interactions? Was it kind of like open gyms that you were at? Or was there a tryout process? Like, walk me through that a little. Sure. Uh, yeah, so the first semester at CAP, um, we had... The tryouts, I think it was the, basically the first week, if not the week before. It was it was really early on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, luckily I had known, okay, cool. You know, I'm on the team and, and I have that, that going for me there. But at the time it was Paul Tudor was the assistant coach. Right. And he had been there for, for a number of years at that point. Um, I think he was at Douglas first. Well, I don't think. I know he was at Douglas first. You know, he yeah. spent some time there. I think he came over the cap. And then the head coach at that point was Scott Winninger, who – played at VIU, was a phenomenal player, and had just come off uh, a stint playing professionally. Okay. When he, um, he actually he broke his ankle, and I remember we asked him, oh, how'd you break your ankle? He's like, oh, I landed it on the other middle. We're like, oh, okay, the center just put your ball too tight? He's like, yeah, he put my pipe too tight, which is a back row attack. So he had taken off from behind the three-meter line Whoa. and jumped so high and far that he had landed on the other middle and broken his foot. Jeez. So we're like, oh, okay you're you're athletic <laughs> seriously yeah yeah so uh so anyways yeah so he was a coach um and then yeah he took us took me on the team and that first semester was uh it, it was pretty interesting that's for sure i did not know what the commitment would be like which i think is something that a lot of people coming out of school don't really understand that post-secondary commitment level is is pretty uh intense yeah when you're when you're playing sports right so school definitely took a hit that was, uh, that was something I learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, uh, that was something we also learned how to fix pretty quick because, you know, we got some good support systems in there at cap and, and yeah. So the first semester was a big learning curve. That's for sure. And now did you come in with, uh, like an idea of what position you were going to be? Like, I think you wound up playing a few different spots on the floor from what I can tell, looking at the roster. So did you have a good sense of what you were as a player or did that kind of get defined for you? Yeah, so coming in, I had played middle my whole life. Uh, I, I'm only six foot one, so you know, <laughs> right. in, in high school, you know, you can get by in six foot one as a middle. Sure. But uh, I knew that going to post secondary, I wouldn't be a very effective player as a middle. Right. So when I had come to those tryouts in the summer, I told uh, Paul Tudor, I was like, "Hey, uh, I know I I am a middle, but I'm happy to play middle if we need middles in practices here. But I'm trying out as an outside." Um, yeah. So I basically just made the switch and just tried to pick it up as I went. You know, I hadn't really played outside very much before that. Maybe sometimes I would drop in, which, you know, doesn't yeah. count too much. Sure. But uh, yeah, so I just tried to pick it up along the way. And um, I was just committed to playing outside. I just did not want to be stuck in the middle anymore. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, because I, I think you wound up making your mark kind of more as a defensive player and as a lead, right? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we made that change pretty early on. Well, pretty early on when Nathan was there. Throughout my career at Cap, I actually played 
uh, like you said, almost every position except center was I did something in practice that was not my position most of the time, just because right. we were short guys or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always really good at a lot of positions. I was never great at one. Uh-huh. So, so it was kind of like, all right, just throw Pappas in there. We'll be fine. <laughs> um, so for years I was playing, playing the outside position, but then also, you know, would play the, some middle position stuff, some, some right side hit or whatever it was. And then Nathan rolls in and um, we were practicing. I think it was the second week of practice and we were attacking. And like I said, I was never great at one position. So I was never that, you know, the horse. I was never the go-to give right. this guy the ball. He'll get us a kill. Yeah. So uh, of the outside attackers that we had, I was the worst at getting the kills. But mm. of the rest of the group, I was the best at passing the free balls. Okay. So by default, he's like, all right, you're my libero now. We need people to pass free balls. You're that guy. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and then well, uh, they trade me. Yeah. It helps to have an identity and, and like commit to something and know you were kind of like a, a, a super utility guy, useful tall enough to like be at the front, but also not, you know, small enough, quote unquote, to, to handle playing in the back as well. So uh, a versatile guy, which is useful, but I I imagine it was helpful to have an identity and stick to being the guy with the striped Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. Our good old soccer jerseys. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I saw one of those in one of the old team uh, team photos, you were in the the striped Jersey there. So yeah, you talked about some of the go-to guys on the outside there that you were kind of, you know, behind as a, as an attacking player, like who were some of the go-to guys in the years on those blues teams, you know, leading into that provincial championship year? Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, one of the best players that we had in the league for sure was Dan Kimberly. Um, you know, happens, that name again. Yep. It's going to be my, uh, my brother-in-law next year. Right. <laughs> Just so happens. Um, but yeah, so he was definitely one of the, one of the best players out there. He, uh, it, it was really interesting seeing how everyone changed over the years because he was you know, a very skilled player, unbelievable ball control, um, but he didn't really have a lot of strength growing up, not growing mm-hmm. up, but growing through the, the couple of years until Nathan got there. You know, he, he wasn't really hitting the gym that much, so mm-hmm. he, he didn't really put the ball away very much. You know, he was great, almost never got blocked, never made errors, but just never really got those kills, never put it away. Mm. And then when Nathan actually came in, one of the big things that Nathan would preach is um, uh, being aggressive and just going for it. And then, so over the years, Dan had been hitting the gym and putting some muscle on and started to become more aggressive. And he just basically became our go-to guy. You know, he could pass the ball on a dime, get outside, and then just rock rock the ball and, and get a kill when we needed to. You know, it wasn't really ever flashy. It wasn't huh. like this guy bouncing balls to the ceiling. But right. he was just so consistent, so controlled, uh, just yeah, just so good at being on the court, and really helped having him next to me being a brand new libero because he would basically take half the court, and then the rest <laughs> of us would take a little bit of court, and then yeah. we would just make sure that we handled our little area. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned Nathan quite a bit, and that's Nathan yeah. Bennett. He he yeah. came in, and it sounds like kind of really defined things for you guys, and. Um, he's become the head coach at the university of the Fraser Valley and still saw him in the gym. The last time we were playing, of course, they've gone to U sports, but, um, sounds like he was a pretty important figure in, in your time with the blues to really kind of define some things for you guys. Um, before we get into the 12, 13 season, which mm. is, I, I mean, you know, as a 
as a player, that's probably going to be the peak of your career. It winds up a provincial championship. But before we get there on the, on the journey towards that season, what do you remember about PacWest volleyball? Like who are the blues rivals for you guys um, that you always got keyed up for? And, and what do you remember about game nights um, in your days playing? Yeah. Uh, it, it was always interesting because it's a small league and, you know, we, yeah. the league recruits from similar places, right? So, you know, most of the people on the other teams, right. Um, some of our, our rivals that year were definitely VIU and, and Douglas. I mean, Douglas yeah. consistently for CAF has been a rival, right? Being just down sure. the road essentially, yep. but yep. Uh, VIU was a big one. Uh, I mean, yeah, we, we would get real fired up when we would play VIU and, you know, they were very good at the time. They had this, a middle named Lee Hamilton, who was just, oh, he he must have touched close to 12 feet, like 11, 11 wow. something easily, and just put the ball where he wanted it, was quick, was a great leader on their court, had a massive block. I remember one time I was warming up, peppering at the net, and he was, they were doing block trips on the other side, right? So just going back and forth and warming up their blocking. Right. And he's like, hey, Pappas, I'm going to grab your head. And he swings to the outside, jumps over the net, reaches over and touches the top of my head and goes back. And of course I looked at him like, yeah, okay, whatever. But inside I was like, holy hell, man. Like what, what did you just do? Yeah. Yeah. That's Uh, pretty interesting. Cause in, in volleyball, like you're so on display as to what the, what you're doing, what the other team's doing. Like I'm sure some games are won and lost just observing the other team's warmups. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it can get into your head really quickly and just seeing, I mean, that's why a lot of teams will uh, do 53s. I'm not sure if too many people are familiar with that term, but basically just tossing balls uh, three or four feet above the net in the middle. There's no purpose to it in a game. No one hits those in a game. There's no reason to do it. But yeah. a lot of teams will do it in the warm-up because guys will go up and they'll just bounce the ball and hit as hard as they can. Sure. So, number one, it feels good for you to, to hit it as hard as you want. Yeah. But also, once the team just starts bouncing these balls in warm-up, you know, the other team inevitably is going to be looking out of the corner of their eye and seeing these balls, you know, coming close to the ceiling, going halfway up the wall, whatever it is. So a yeah. lot of it can get into the opponent's head when you do it that way. Yeah. It's, it's, I was just sort of thinking of that scene you described Lee Hamilton from VIU being able to do what he did at the net like that's <laughs> and to like specifically call you out and demonstrate, like, sort of call his shot yeah. like that, like. Yeah, that's a little bit of a mind game right there, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love hearing about the rivalries and, um, and you know, it's, it's similar to this day. VIU remains a strong program. Douglas, mm-hmm. some of our best nights in our gym have been Douglas games because inevitably fans come from their, from their side and there's always a pretty good turnout on our end. And it gets pretty rocking in the, uh, in the Blues gym when there's, you get a few hundred people in there. So yeah, some of our best nights have been, have been games against Douglas and um I guess as we, uh, you know, talk about your 12-13 season, I mean, what do you remember about that year? I looked it up. You guys went 15-9. and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think we're tied with the third-place team who must have had a tiebreaker against you because you wound up being the number four seed going mm-hmm. into the playoffs. But, like, through that, like, do you recall in much detail how that season went? Was it up and down? Were you guys kind of, like, win two, lose one? Did you get on any runs? Like, do, how do you recall that year kind of playing out? Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a rough start for us. I mean, essentially, it was it was a new team. You know, we had our core guys like Dan Gabriel, me, Alex Harvelius, uh, Ben Ricketts, Spencer mm-hmm. Kite. You know, just the, the guys that that came back year after year. Um, mm-hmm. 
But when Nathan came in, you know, he basically redesigned what we were doing, right? He wanted to run things a lot differently, teach us some different, different systems. So it really took that first half of the season to even get our systems down. You know, for I remember for the first probably eight games, he would he would tell us like, I don't even care what's happening on the other side of the net. I just want us to focus on our side and just make sure we're going to the right spots and being set and doing all these little things, which I think was very helpful for us instead of trying to worry about okay when this person attacks, you know, we need to do this. When this person attacks, we need to do this. He was very good at just, you know what, just focus on what you're doing and what you can control. I'll worry about that side and really didn't even give us much scouting on the other team until halfway through the season. So that was really great um, because it it helped us really build that foundation going into the second half because the first half of the season, we weren't winning too many games. So, you know, we we won a couple here and there, but we didn't have any big streaks or or really put anything together. Mm -hmm. Um, It was... I can't remember if it was just after the break or just going into the break, but we had a, a match against VIU who was, you know, one of the favorites at the time. And we had taken them to five sets uh, at Capilano. And I just remember I made the dig of my life in that game. Like had the ball gone anywhere except directly on my arms, I would have made the exact same movement because the ball moved so fast. Right. So it would have either shanked it. I would have just made that movement and it would have gone past me. You know, it was just, perfect scenario of ball came right to me and I made the absolute dig of my life on Lee Hamilton but that match really turned it around for us because we all really learned about you know just bearing down and and fighting through all five sets and not giving up on anything right so we made it through won that match uh we're absolutely fired up and then from there we started to see a lot more success throughout the rest of the season so we started to win more games a lot more confidence going in and one of the biggest things that happened for us that year that really helped us going into provincials was uh, we beat Douglas in the last match of the season. Right. So the Friday night, they had beaten us, I believe. Uh, it was a while now, and I forgot to check. But <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, you're um, right. You're actually – I'm looking at it right now, and, um, yeah, you guys had a home-and-home. Home. They, they, they got the Friday night, but then the next night was, uh, I guess, at our gym. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, so yeah, they we they had won that Friday night and that Saturday night, you know, I, I don't know what it was, I don't know what we pulled together, but you know, everyone just kind of stepped it up another level and we won that match. And that was pivotal for us because going into provincials, you know, we had this win over Douglas. We had this little mental edge that yeah, they can be beat because we had lost every game to them earlier that year, right? right? We haven't won a single match against them. So so that was huge for us to to get that win. Um, so I guess to answer your question, you know, we weren't too big on, you know, there weren't some huge streaks. We weren't on giant rolls, but that second half of the season, we definitely started to put wins together and start to do a little back-to-back winning and, and figure it out. So that was huge. So when you think about peaking at the right time of the year, it sounds like you guys were trending the right way going into the, going into the playoffs, um, PacWest playoffs as the number four seed. Do you recall the mindset of the team or how you guys felt? Did you guys feel loose because you weren't the favorites or did you guys have some internal pressure because you guys felt like you were coming on? Do you remember the the collective mindset there? Yeah. Uh, I, throughout the year, we all, you know, we had a little bit of pressure in the back of our minds because we had had a couple of rough years throughout the PacWest. You know, like a lot of us have been together for three years at this point and And we had that in the back of our mind of just, you know, we're, we're, we're a very successful team. 
So throughout the year, we always had that in the back of our mind. So there was that pressure that we we're putting on ourselves. But um, this is something that we took away from Nathan. And that was, he would come in and one of his biggest things that he would preach along with being aggressive was being professional, both on and off the court, mm-hmm. which was massive for us. And, and to this day, I still think that that's the biggest difference between the very successful teams and the teams that are just good hmm. is that professionalism off the court. Right. So having us really take care of making sure we're on top of our school, making sure we're on top of our, our weightlifting, making sure we're taking care of our nutrition, hydration, you know, like that bucket of ice that lives in the sports plex is always out there. And if you're not using it, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, so just the little things like that really helped us as we were moving through the season and into provincials, because, you know, we kind of just fell back on that. It wasn't this whole different, like, Hey, it's provincials. Oh, Oh no, we got to change this and do this. Like, no, we just fell back on our, okay. We just had another practice. Let's go get our ice. Let's go stretch, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, those, the little bits of, of the professionalism leading through the season really set us up to be able to help us not have that pressure on us, I think. And we really lucked out as well because, you know, the provincial championships was in Cranbrook that year, College yeah. of the Rockies. Yep. And uh, three weeks before that, we were actually in Cranbrook. We had just made the 12 or 14 hour bus trip, whatever it was. Right. And we're already a little kind of used to it. If we had uh-huh. made it earlier in the season, you know, I, maybe we wouldn't have done as well, but it was pretty recent. So right. we were already kind of in that mindset of, all right, let's go sit on the bus for 12 or 14 hours. We know what we're doing. Bring your water, bring your snacks, make sure we get up and stretch. Um, and one of the biggest things that really set us up for provincials there uh, is uh, there's a guy, Herbert Sommerfeld. He was a strength and conditioning coach who was actually the most consistent part of Cavallano through my years there. Cause he was okay. one of the coaches that was there from my first year with Scott Winnegar all the way until uh, that last year that I played. So Herb uh, was a genius in the weight room and he had built our strength and conditioning program and was tapering us leading up to provincials and just the timing of it and what we were doing worked out so perfectly. We were, we actually started to do some max lifts on the Monday before we left. And the theory mm-hmm. that he gave us was, you know, if we do these max lifts right before we leave, you know, obviously safely into a certain point, mm-hmm. what's going to happen is our body's going to kind of open up and we're kind of tricking our nervous system into our body thinking like, whoa, 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 I need to get stronger because what's this? I'm lifting this really heavy weight all of a sudden. And by the time that that happened, you know, we got to provincials and we were just flying. We felt so good. We felt strong. Huh. We felt quick. Um, whether or not that was all in our heads, don't know, don't care, it works. Real quick, just a friendly PSA reminder for all your blues, notes, and news. Follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Capilano Blues. That's such a that's such a neat reflection. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, yeah, like it takes more than just the players on the court and the coaches and like the whole, the team approach and, and your strength and conditioning coach. Um, hopefully he can get the chance to listen to this and hear the shout out. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, like you mentioned, it was a long road trip to provincials in Cranbrook at college of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And I think you opened up against the home team in the first game. Do you, what do you remember about that first match? Was it a, a packed house? Like how did that go? Yeah. So whenever Cranbrook, 
sorry, whenever college was Rockies had hosted something in Cranbrook, um, their gym was packed. Like they, yeah. they had a great community behind them. They were always, um, always really supportive of the team there. And uh, actually that trip that we had made a few weeks before yeah. was on the Friday night. That was one of the first times that they had lost uh, one of their home games. I think Douglas had taken a, a set off or a match off them as well, but they rarely lost that Friday night match hmm. just because that trip was so tough on teams, yeah. right? You know, you have that bus ride and you roll in at, was it two or three in the afternoon or something like that and go play your game. Yeah. So um, when we were there for the first match of Rangers in the quarterfinal, you know, their gym was absolutely packed. Well, we also had that little mental edge on like we've done this before. We even, I think we showed up on the Wednesday, if maybe the Thursday, we showed up a little earlier than we normally would. Sorry. Yeah. I think the game was on the Thursday. So we must've showed up on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Um, so we showed up a little earlier than we normally would you know, to get recovered, to, to have a good night's sleep in the hotel and make sure we are ready to go for them. So we came in, you know, really without any disadvantage because, you know, we had that extra day and we had made that trip recently and we were feeling great, like I said. Mm-hmm. So uh, going into that, you know, there's a lot of energy in the gym. There was no pressure on us really because no one was there to cheer for us. So sure. it was it was just their fans and they're like, okay, cool. Their yeah. fans want them to win. That's fine. We're just going to go do what we do took care of our little things like making sure we're all in the right team gear, making sure we had our team meal at the right time. And, you know, like I said, all those off the court things that we fell back on mm-hmm. and just showed up to another game and just played volleyball. Yeah. I, I, um, I appreciate the reflection. That's uh, a really interesting story, but like also, you know, that can be a tough way to start a provincials against the home mm-hmm. side, but you kind of just rolled with it. And you seems like you had such a defined routine that, nothing really phased you guys. It just fell back to your fundamentals, fell back to your, to your regular habits. And that seemed to give you guys a lot of confidence. So mm-hmm. you get through that first set and straight sets um, against a big crowd, probably. And you find yourself in the semifinals now against a Douglas team. That's the number one seed. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't played yet. They had the buy into the semis. And just looking at the box score, like I, I can just see the scores. It looks like it was an epic tilt. So what do you remember about that one? Yeah, that one was a dogfight for sure. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, we fought hard in that game. And Douglas, to their credit, was, you know, they're a very good team. They, we definitely had our ebbs and flows throughout that match. You know, we were a little emotional going into that one um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, we, we had that bit of the mental edge, like we said, but also they had, won almost all their matches against us except for that one all year they're one of the top ranked teams in the country so you know we, we were going up and down against them whereas they were just very consistent very very thorough mm-hmm. but um a lot of back and forth you know a lot of scrambles and uh i will never forget one of our our serving subs darren Marrera, who had gone in the fifth set and i don't remember the exact point at this point but it was a huge serve. Like I, I think it was around the end of the match. And this serve was, if he puts them in trouble, you know, it's going to set us up for a really good position. So maybe we can get a transition and get the point, whatever it was. Instead of doing that, he goes in, puts in a standing float serve that if you drew it up, you couldn't have done it better. You know, coaches from volleyball always say, serve the seams, make them make a decision, cause confusion. So he served the uh, the five six seam between the left sides, and their hands both go for the ball at the same time, and their their wrists hit each other, 
So their wow. platforms both stop perfectly, making a little V between them that the ball passes through and it hits the floor. Like it wow. was, it was the greatest moment. It, <laughs> we lost it when Darren did that, man. When he came off the floor, we, we mauled him. Wow. Uh, so he goes in, instead of just putting in a tough serve, goes and gets us an ace. And wow. then, yeah, that demoralized Douglas big time. Like that, that's a pretty rattling thing to happen when two passers hit each other, leaving a space and the ball goes through them. Like that's, sure. <laughs> that's not good. At that time of the match. Yeah. Whenever it oh. was. So just to uh, refresh you. So you know, the first set was 25, 23 for them. You guys mm-hmm. bounce back and take one 27, 25. They get the third one, 25, 17. That was the only kind of decisive set where anyone won by a big margin because you went to extra points again in the fourth and you guys win at 28, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is already a long match going into that fifth and deciding set, which also went to extra points. So, I mean, do you remember some details of how it closed out? So, you know what? Oh, I was trying to think about this since you and I connected a while ago about this podcast. And I could not for the life of me think of what happened. I even messaged a few people. You know, <laughs> it, it was really just a blur because one of the things that we took away from, from uh, our, our time at Capilano was that game's over, move on, next game, right. focus on the next thing. So we really developed that short-term memory really quickly. Yeah. So I have a pretty good recollection of you know the, the finals and how that happened and what right. was going on there. Yeah. But for the life of me, outside of that unbelievable serve, <laughs> just, I can't remember the details of that match. So you guys wind up taking the fifth set 16 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've just knocked off the number one seed in the tournament uh-huh. and booked yourself a spot in the finals. I mean, what an emotional win. I, I'm always kind of fascinated by. Uh, teams that get a big win and how they respond in the next game, which is going to be your biggest game of the season at this point, the mm-hmm. finals for the, for the provincial title. So um, you talked about having a short-term memory. It sounds like that was pretty key in like not letting what must've been a very emotionally taxing semifinal kind of drain you and not being at your best for the finals. So um, is it, is that pretty, pretty much what you would credit um, for, for you guys being able to get up and, and ultimately come away with the victory in the gold medal match. VIU is uh, winds up being the, uh, on the other side of the net for that one. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely helped. Um, especially after that match, you know, we, we celebrated a little bit, but uh, Nathan and Drew, who was assistant coach, Drew Venables, um, mm-hmm. were very quick to obviously celebrate with us and yeah. you know, have, have a little bit of a good time in, in the locker room. But we're just so quick to say, like, hey, job's not done, right? We're professionals. And again, that professionalism was what we leaned on. We're professionals. We have another job to do tomorrow. So, you know, have a celebrate right now. But as soon as you leave that locker room, it's it's over. You know, that game is done. We're not going back to that game. It's time to move on to this next one and start prepping. You know, so right. let's get our food. Let's get hydrated. Let's go stretch back to the hotel. Yeah. Um, so really having that mindset of just, Yep. It's done. We still have a job to do was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And along with that, you know, we had the wildcard berth that year for nationals. So right. winning that match guaranteed yeah. us our position in nationals. So course, that took yeah. a lot of pressure off of us moving into the finals as well. Right. So then it became less about like, okay, let's win this match so that we can go to nationals because nationals had always been our goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Provincials, you know, phenomenal accomplishment, but that was never our goal at the uh, beginning of the season. It was always to get to nationals. Mm-hmm. So now that we had achieved that goal, you know, some of the pressure was off. So now it was like, Hey, you know what, let's just go out there and, and try and win. 
Like, there's yeah. no like worrying about like, hey, we gotta make sure we do this and game plan this. It's like, no, let's just go and win. And, you know, we're obviously a lot of a lot of wind in our sails at that point. Yep. Um, but we balanced it. We we definitely found that balance between like, yeah, let's go. We can do this. And okay, one thing at a time. We still have to wake up tomorrow. Still have to do our video. Still mm-hmm. have to to stretch and get ready for the game, just like today. So yeah, it was it was a it was a quick turnaround. And uh, it really helped for sure. I think that the quick turnaround is actually what really helped because we right. didn't have so much time to dwell on that win. Sure. Had it been two or three days, I think it'd be a whole different story. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so the final match against VIU, um, it goes your way. Uh, but it sounds like you recall in pretty good detail how that went. So, you know, what comes to mind? Yeah. So one of the things um, that I didn't mention earlier was, uh, so I was a starting libero for the entire season. And then that last match before we played Douglas um, on the Friday night, you know, I had an okay game, but I just, I wasn't up to snuff, you know, like I had made some mistakes and just wasn't, wasn't at that level I need to be for that weekend. So on that Saturday night, uh, Nathan actually made a change and, and took me off his libero and put uh, Kyle Sam in as the starting libero. So he was in as libero for that match that we won against Douglas. And, you know, if something works, you don't change it. So he left Kyle Salmon as the libero for the provincial championship, which obviously was very successful. So yeah. one of the things that really helped us throughout that entire provincial championship and frankly, through the whole season was everybody on the team knew their job and owned it. So right. from a serving sub position to a blocking sub, like everyone just knew their job and did it the best they could. You know, there wasn't ever this animosity of like, oh, that guy's starting, we're not, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that was really pivotal in, in the way we approached every match, especially in the provincial championships. You know, like we, there was never this like, oh, look, I'm on the court making that error. I could do better. It was like, hey, hey, buddy, you got this, right? And then mm-hmm. that person would run on and be a serving sub. And then it was everyone had their back even if they made an error, it was super supportive for them. So it, it, that was, I think, really big in, in how we approached that game and how we won. But one of the things that I will definitely get in trouble for not mentioning is that the women's team was so pivotal in that win as well because oh. they were front and center in the bleachers just chirping the hell out of VIU. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, Alex Harvelius went on a serving run. It was probably seven or eight serves in a row. Wow. He was rocking these spin serves and uh, the girls just started chanting, you shall not pass. You shall not pass. And <laughs> you could see it just chipping away at VIU and just cracking them a little bit at a time. Right. Yeah. I, I should have thought about that, about um, the bus ride up. Like you guys, both teams were going, like, I guess you shared a bus ride up there. Mm-hmm. And so they were probably the, some of the few people there were actually in attendance to watch you guys play being so far from home. Yeah. Yeah, they were um, um, they were never at any of the other games because you know they had their games sure. for and, and all that. But you know they they came in at the finals and you know all painted up, blue paints. They're wow. wearing the blues gear. They were they were loud. I, I think some of the crowd was rattled that these girls were that loud. It was great. <laughs> and I guess Jackie was in that crowd too. I'm not sure if that's her mm-hmm. style, but she was uh, with that group too. So yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, what a cool memory. Thanks for uh, for sharing that. Um, sure. So I guess let's fast forward to nationals. It's mm-hmm. in Niagara College at Welland, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you guys drew the home team in the first game. So what do you remember about that one? Yeah, I guess we had a, 
uh, a habit of pulling the home team first game, eh? Um, yeah. So that one, we we did a lot of prep for that. I know Nathan Drew put a ton of hours into game analysis and watching the videos, and um, so we were very prepared for that match. But uh, leading up to that match, you know, we were even we were feeling really good too. We were we had our serving passes, and you know, we were feeling great. Guys were loose. Um, we came in with a lot of confidence and excitement and, and, you know, a really good week of training after flying in because, you know, it's brand new to us. We hadn't flown across the country before to play time change, all that stuff. Um, So uh, leading into it, like it was, it was really good. I think we were set up really well to win that match. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day with Niagara, I mean, obviously they had a great showing of fans there and their fans were great. And Niagara is a good team for sure. Mm-hmm. we just didn't execute. We just didn't do what we needed to do. And I still, I, I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if we just made the errors like people make errors, but you know, we just didn't put it together the way we had planned to. And right. you know, it showed that Niagara took it in five sets and, and beat us out and then moved on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Obviously a, a bitter pill to swallow, but mm-hmm. thanks for being candid about, about how that went. You guys set yourself up for success and in a, you know, win or go home situation that that can be how it goes on the day. Right. So, um, but travel, you know, getting a, getting a cross country flight and the experience of playing in a national championship, that's not something that very many college athletes get to experience. So I imagine that, you know, rank still ranks pretty highly in your, your list of um, top memories. Oh yeah, we we definitely had some great times leading up to that match. I mean, even after, obviously, we weren't very happy with it, and we were very competitive. So, you know, we were not not happy, like I said, but we we took it hard that we had lost. But um, I mean, leading up to that, we had some some good times. Um, conveniently, I, I know Milt is retiring soon, which you know is right. public knowledge now. So yeah. Milt was one of our chaperones there, driving one of the bands. And okay. uh, I do, <laughs> I got a couple of Milt stories that I have to put in. Yeah, here bring them on. Since he's heading out. Yeah. Um, so we were doing a serving pass, uh, just like a casual little, you know, hour on the court, just getting loose in the morning. And most of us were lined up on one side, just putting in some servers while the other side, just passing balls, hit some balls, whatever it was. And behind yeah. us, we hear this weird squeaking noise. So <laughs> we look back, a couple of us, and then on behind us, there's a little set of bleachers. And we see this guy wearing this cutoff shirt, doing these dips. And the guy's arms were just massive. Eh? Like just ripped big just rocking out all these dips non-stop i look closer and like holy crap is that milt <laughs> like there's no way like yeah. that's ripped. what's happening over here start oh, yeah. nudging the guy next to me i'm like yo take a look he looks looks away looks back it's like that milt yeah man what the hell and then you just see it nudging down the line of guys like yo what's going on back there no just rocking out these dips what's going on we had no idea that he, he was so jacked man like just, just looking back there we're like no what What's going on, buddy? Yeah, that guy has spent a lifetime uh, just being physically fit. And uh, a lot of people were surprised. You know, the news came out, like you mentioned, of his retirement. And he does not look his age, right? So a lot of yeah, people are like, yeah. hey, he's retirement age? Like, yeah, he's he's a little older than you would think, but he's he's very fit. And, uh, and you know, that's been a big part of his role on campus is just, mm-hmm. 
wellness and physical fitness. It's been a huge part of his life. And yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he, he kind of knew what he was doing when uh, <laughs> showing off his <laughs> prowess with, uh, with, uh, with using the, uh, the gym there. So yeah, um, was, uh, yeah we, that's funny. That's a good. That's a good story. Yeah. Um, we actually, we saw a different side of him on that trip because, you know, Milt's he's a bit of a strict guy when it comes to certain rules around, around campus and, and the programs. Right. Yeah. But he was just, so relaxed with us it it was uh-huh. it caught us off guard because i remember we were on our way back to the hotel and mm-hmm. we were in milt's van like, hey milt can we stop at timmy's real quick yeah. he's like yeah sure why not pulls into the drive-thru you get timmy's like, hey can we can we go check out niagara falls he's like yeah sure <laughs> why not everyone else is back at the hotel and it's just our van oh. with milt like yeah sure let's go check out the falls we take a picture <laughs> walk around a bit <laughs> we got back and everyone's like where where were you like oh we're just with milt over at niagara falls as yeah <laughs> that's cool um yeah that's uh i'm glad to get a couple of milk stories in here because uh, like you said he, he might wind up on this podcast at some point too but uh he's been he's been putting me off so far um um well anyway but yeah you definitely finish on a high note as this one to be in your final season as a as a college athlete you get to go to a national championship um what do you remember about transitioning uh from being a college athlete to whatever it was you got up to that next year, was that difficult for you? Yeah. So, uh, that next year, actually, I was going back to cap. So I had one more year left at cap, went back and, um, I ended up starting out with, you know, being on the team training. And then in the beginning of the season, uh, I was set out to be the starting libero, but Mm -hmm. there was a a first year libero coming out of the Island who was very good. Like one of the top players in in the province for his age, for sure. So it was between me and him for that position. And Nathan actually ended up going with him and then gave him my roster spot. Yep. So I ended up, uh, I had two choices really. I could have just, you know, left the team and and done my own thing, or I could have stuck around and, and been that support there for the guys, you know, still training with the guys, still practicing, uh, and then I also took over some stuff in the weight room. So right. I had a bit of a gentle transition out um, mm. because, I mean, you know, it was pretty devastating not to be able to play anymore. But, you know, I was still involved with the team. And, and I figured, you know, like I could just leave the guys or I could be there for them. You know, they're my best friends. Got to mm. be there with them and help them out. And then I was basically, like I mentioned before, Herb Sommerfeld, our strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. I became kind of his guy on the ground to – to modify stuff if we needed to, to communicate to the guys on his behalf with what changes we had. So right. I ended up kind of rolling into that strength and conditioning assistant coach role for a bit. Okay. And then after that, took a year off, just away from cap, go do my thing, uh, you know, transfer schools, went to UBC to go finish my degree. And then uh, came back the following year when Emmanuel took over. So, right. sorry, two years later, because I would have finished that year that following year, Drew would have taken over the team, Drew Venables. Mm-hmm. And then Emmanuel took over the year after that. And then okay. went back and started coaching as assistant coach with Emmanuel. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, I really appreciate that reflection because I mean, similar to how like um, in the, in the, or in the provincials or the nationals where um, Nathan Bennett made a, a switch at Libero. I mean, you could have, you could have taken that the wrong way. You could have mm-hmm. become a bad teammate and, and had some negative energy that would have not been helpful, or you could do what you did, which is to be a good teammate and do what's best for the, for the team. And it sounds like that approach served you well. And, you know, obviously your position was transitioning to a new player in that, in that last year, but you, as opposed to 
being bitter about it, you turned it into a positive. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really important mindset to have. And um, it served you well. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Emmanuel becomes a head coach and you're, uh, we're going to talk a bit about you as an assistant coach. Now, did you play against him? Like he was an older guy competing at CBC. If, if I'm not mistaken, did you, did you play against him? Yeah. I, I think one year we overlapped from what I remember. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, he's an unreal player. Yeah. Um, so he actually one year for sure, he was coaching at CBC and then decided that they wanted to win nationals. So he's like, I'll just play. It's fine. And then goes and plays and they win nationals. So wow. <laughs> uh, we definitely, I think we played against him that year, but yeah, he, um, it, it was interesting going from playing against each other since we, we could, re- we really knew, we didn't know that much about each other, but we knew, you know, like you, you can tell sure. when you play against each other and kind of who, what personalities come out on the court. So sure. um, that was nice because we had that kind of connection there and, uh, he needed an assistant coach that was experienced at cap and mm-hmm. yeah, it just kind of worked out. He gave me that phone call. I was like, Hey, I know, you know, the program and now I want your help. And there we go. Right. So that first year coaching was that 15, 16, uh, 16, 17, 16, the first 17. Year. Yeah. Okay. So just to put it in perspective up into our last season, I think that was Simon Friesen's second year playing. That would have been Simon's first year was Emmanuel's first year actually. Okay. Okay. So we, Emmanuel recruited him out of, out of school. Right. Yeah. I know the two of them obviously are pretty close and had a, mm-hmm. a connection. And um, Simon obviously is going to go down as one of the best to ever play for the Blues mm-hmm. and finished his career with a national championship. Um, I don't know if there's any anything you really want to do. You really spend some time talking about being an assistant coach or um, successes or failures or reflections you have about being an assistant coach highlights for you in that from that, those few years? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I think three seasons you wound up doing it. Like, what did you, what was rewarding to you about it? Just seeing development or like team success? What did you take from it? Yeah. I think the best part about it was, uh, one, getting a lot closer with the other coaches. So, yeah. uh, throughout the years that I coached, there was a couple that came through, but it was Emmanuel Dengesi, Taylor Hammond. Um, and then Ben Ricketts was there for a year or two. And then John Del Cruz was there as well. He helped us yeah. out. He, um, but uh, just getting a lot closer with them. And mm-hmm. uh, it was really interesting learning about Emmanuel's point of view because he had played at a national level years ago, right? And then he took quite a bit of time off, then came to the Pac West and got rookie of the year at like 25 or 26 years old, whatever it was. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he had a very different view of the game, especially uh-huh. he played in Cameroon yep. and their style of volleyball is very different than the Kate style, at least, you know, in those years that he played. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting seeing that and then really learning about kind of the balance between what the school and the athletic department are asking of teams versus mm-hmm. what gets to the players. Yeah. Know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes down from ADs or athletic directors that, you know, doesn't necessarily make their way to the players, but it's still, influencing how the program runs and what everyone's doing right um, so i thought that was really interesting kind of seeing that and it wasn't you know like bad stuff it wasn't like they're telling us to do a bunch of stuff and we're fighting with them every day right it's just yeah. players don't need to know all the little things about budgets and fundraising and this and that right so yeah that was that was yeah. really interesting seeing that yeah well it's it was interesting to me to to see that like a couple of the players that were young guys 
in the years you were coaching, talking about Simon, mm-hmm. um, Jacob Hopkins was a member of the a key member of the national championship team from 2020. He was a first year player. Um, CJ was on the national championship team, played that season. I think he was uh, similar in that he started as an older athlete, mm-hmm. but he was on that team. And um, did you take some uh, some special, like I'm sure you followed along and noticed when they won the national championship and like, you know, there's a, a handful of those guys that were players that you coached. So you can take a little bit of pride in having had a bit of influence on you know, those guys' careers. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, these guys... I was lucky enough to coach a lot of them when they were at Apex Volleyball Club. Right. So some of those kids I had known since they were 16, 17 years old. Yeah. So they came in, played at Capilano, and then, you know, even afterwards when I left and they won that national championship, you know, it, it was it was really great to see that they had made that journey from coming from this Vancouver club that isn't really known for producing champions mm-hmm. to really embracing what it takes to win. And yep. understanding that there's so much more to the game than just showing up and playing. Mm-hmm. And so seeing them really take that and run with it, you know, it's fantastic. And a couple of those guys have moved on to play U sports now as well. And sure. just seeing them continue to develop is, you know, it was really, really fantastic to be a part of that journey. And it was nice because they know me, they knew me really well. So they right. got along with me real quick. And it was, <laughs> uh, I had to remind them once in a while that we were not friends, that I was the coach, <laughs> sure. which sometimes it's hard to do because man, they're yep. a funny bunch of kids. Like just <laughs> some of the stuff they did that we cannot share in this podcast was, was fantastic. Oh man. Well, and if Justin uh... Yee is listening. I'm talking about that. Justin. <laughs> I hope he hears that. Justin yeah. uh, is a guy I've had a chance to meet. He's been really supportive of the program, you know, he's transitioned on to UBC and I see him at the, you know, the last time we were playing, which feels like a long time ago now. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, seeing him at the gym and, um, just, uh, just a great individual. So yeah, hopefully this gets to him. Um, hopefully he hears that, but, uh, um, we, I mean, we should really catch you up to the present day. Um, you really live a volleyball life, um, and you're working for volleyball BC. Maybe you can just break us down what your role is and, um, maybe talk about what you would do under normal circumstances and, any, and if it's pertinent, like what you've been doing the last year, I know indoor sports, there's been a lot of restrictions. So maybe just bring us up to speed with what you do nowadays professionally. Sure. Yeah. So like you said, I do work at Volleyball BC. Um, currently, I'm the manager of operations, which is essentially means I'm directly responsible for all of the lower mainland youth events that go on. So um, your club tournaments, your clinics and camps, your beach tournaments, uh, high school events, pretty much anything youth related. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am responsible for in the lower mainland. And at the same time, I lead a team of regional managers, which are responsible for the same thing out in the Fraser Valley, the Okanagan, the island in the north. Um, uh, they also have a little bit more on their plate than just this youth stuff. But uh, yeah, so that, that's my team there. And uh, in a normal year, you know, we'd be, we'd be running uh, massive club tournaments, provincial championships, running these big beach tournaments with a couple hundred teams throughout the weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we'll be doing. It's just a whole bunch of event management and clinics and camps. Um, it's, uh, it's really an interesting role because you learn a little bit about everything in the sport world. So, you know, I've been uh, involved in a little bit of the sponsorship talks, you know, not directly, but, you know, I've been in those conversations, you know, I have to learn about 
all these massive budgets. I have to learn about how to manage the people, how to manage staff, uh, setting up programs. You know, so it, it really is it's kind of an all-encompassing role. And it's right. really rewarding because I am very involved in youth sport, which uh, sometimes you lose sight of that when you're buried in a computer in front of Excel, crunching numbers. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when you're at an event, you know, there's tons of kids on the court that are doing what you've planned. And we have, we essentially are the ones who are kind of modifying the policies, the rules in BC. Mm-hmm. So if we make a bad decision that we didn't really think through, then mm-hmm. all of these kids are affected. So right. it's, a, it, it's a sweet role, to be honest. Like I'm very, very happy with it. And we got a great team of volleyball BC that works their butts off. And yeah. we're a nonprofit, right? So sure. you know, we're not raking in that much money for what we do. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it obviously isn't what it's all about. I mean, you're all involved in the sport you love and get to see sure. the rewarding nature of seeing kids fall in love with the game that you love and, um, and develop in it. Um, do you, and you might've covered it, but I'm just, so I'm familiar. Does what you do cover over like high school sports and club sports? So we don't, we're not responsible for any of the high school system. We'll right. run high school events. So, you know, we'll, yep. we'll host some tournaments here or there. Yep. Um, one thing we do sometimes is we'll, we'll go to the high school provincial championships. Usually the boys one, they'll ask us to come out and we'll help run it. So we'll just, uh, you know, help with the scores, coordinate, things like that. Mm-hmm. While the you know, tournament committee does all the actual decision-making. Um, but we're, we have a really good relationship with the high school system. So mm-hmm. we start our club system after they are done because right. we've made an agreement of, you know, we don't want these kids in the middle of their high school season worrying about club right. volleyball. We just right. want them play club, I mean, play high school, enjoy it, and then afterwards do club. So right. we built a really good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting line to straddle. And I you know, hear different things about club teams versus high school teams. And in basketball, mm-hmm. I know that it can be controversial, like which is best, like is one detracting from the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you guys have managed to um, – to toe that line pretty effectively. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some, some really great people running, running the system for quite a while at volleyball BC, like Adrian Goodmurphy, who's my uh, direct superior has been running it for the last eight, nine years and has been really big on making sure the club system is a quality system um, that people want to play for, but also has the options for other people who just want that more recreational side of it as well. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I like you kind of alluded to, like with basketball BC, there there's that stuff going between like, hey, yeah, which one is better? Is it club? Is it high school? Which one should we do? And at the moment, traditionally, volleyball club is looked at as being a little more higher level than high mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Um, which you know, we we want to try and keep it that way, but that by no means means that there are some high school teams would not be able to beat club teams. Like there are some phenomenal programs out there that just for years and years and years have consistently pumping out champions and championship right. teams. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's good to, it sounds like for overall the, the game of volleyball is in a pretty good place in BC and served pretty well by both, you know, the school system as well as the club system. And um, I'm glad to hear you say that you get so much out of your job. That's uh, it's really cool to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into kind of our final, our, our final questions, which will just kind of add a little bit of color to your background, but um talk to us about uh, the story of you and Jackie getting engaged and using the cap U gymnasium for to to uh sort of capture the moment yeah so um 
Yeah. So like I said before, Jackie and I, that we're on 10 years today, you know, we met in my first year at Capilano in 2010. And then um, yeah, I started, uh, I became very interested in Jack. Uh, she was not into my shenanigans. <laughs> it took about <laughs> six months for her to really change her mind and, and go out on a date with me. Oh. Um, she's a, a very driven person, right? So she has a priority set. So staying out late, making bad choices, all the things that I thrived in were not really her cup of tea. So uh-huh. I definitely ended up making some lifestyle changes after I started dating her. Right. Um, but it was all worth it. Uh, so in 2019, we went on a trip to Greece, mm-hmm. uh, Greece and Italy, which is going on vacation and I am Greek. So it was nice right. to go back to Greece. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> On the second day of the trip, which I, to this day, think was very brave of me because if she had said no on the second day of our, you know, 20 day trip, it would have been very uncomfortable. Right. Well, but, you're eight uh, years in at that point. So yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> making too much of a risk here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, so we, we were uh, kind of in, in Santorini and okay. we took this hike earlier in the day from kind of one town to another. And I had the ring with me in my backpack. And it was just driving into my back the entire Oof. time because I was yeah. not about to leave this thing in, in the hotel. Uh-huh. Um, but also I couldn't leave it somewhere where if she needed to go through my bag, it would just pop out of her, right? So yeah. I had this ring driving into my back the whole time. On the walk or on the hike, found a nice spot. Later uh-huh. that night, we went back to that spot. Um, and at sunset on Santorini Island, you know, I dropped down on one knee and, and popped the question. And she said yes. And then we carried on our vacation. Beautiful. Thanks yeah. for for sharing that story. I just uh, I mentioned the Capu Gym because mm-hmm. I think I guess you guys got a hold of Milt and yep. obviously that uh, the hardwood at the Center for Sport and Wellness, the the Plex as you guys probably would have called it. Yeah. Um, you guys brought in a photographer and kind of really um, just created a memory, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, no secret that Capilano was a huge part of our lives, and without Capilano, you know, we wouldn't have met. So Jackie and I wanted to at least take some pictures at Capilano. We actually ended up walking around some of the little trails and the paths between buildings up, uh, on campus and taking some nice pictures out there and, and yeah. the trees. But um, we really wanted to get at least a couple shots in the gym. Right. And um, our photographer was very excited to have an entire gym to play with the colors and the lighting. And so, you know, I shot Milton email and asked, hey, can we come in? Like, we're happy to rent it if, right. if that's you know, the, the way we need to do it. And he said, no, don't worry about it. Just said, here's a time when it's empty. You can come in between these times. No problem. Yeah. So we just showed up and, and took some pictures. Yeah. Commemorated it. It's actually uh, on my desktop right now. I'm looking at it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I know that uh, Chris Rayside, my coworker, he, I think got a hold of some of those and you guys are okay. I think those made it onto our Instagram feed at, at one point and got a big reaction. So yeah. Um, yeah. Super cool that you guys were able to do that. And, um, and thanks for sharing the, uh, the, the proposal story too. That's uh, that's super cool. That's a good one. Um, sure. But yeah, as we draw to a close here, I just wanted to ask you some, some questions uh, to get a bit of a sense of you know, your take on some things as a player, but also, mm-hmm. you know, what you do in your personal life. So I, I guess I'll start off with what was a, what was the biggest crowd you played in front of, or maybe the best, most energetic environment you played in front of? So I, I think the best one we played in front of was, the one against BIU in the finals at Provincials. That was definitely the best crowd because it was 
well, I mean, all we could hear was our women's team screaming. Right. So, so that was fantastic. But the bleachers were still packed and, you know, people were just excited to see good volleyball because we didn't have that many fans there. VIU didn't have that many fans there. So mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of people who just want to see good volleyball. So they would cheer for all, all of the good stuff that happened on the court. So that was great. Cool. But the biggest one, though, was definitely when we were playing that last home game against Douglas. Okay. Like the, the bleachers were just packed that night. It wasn't the, the loudest, wasn't the most rowdy crowd, but I think that was the most people we had played in front of. Did they have the seats out on both sides? It wasn't both sides. No, it was just the, um, the side that we currently do, the one without the chairs. Right. Okay. That was cool, though. Yeah. So yeah, that must've been a pretty, it gets loud in that gym. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never seen it completely full up both sides, but uh, I know it doesn't take much to get pretty rocking in there. So yeah. Um, best player you played with or against. Yeah. It's gotta be probably Dan. Dan Caverly. He uh, yeah. just such an all around stud on the court. I mean, there, there are some people who hit the ball harder or serve the ball better, but just the, probably one of the most complete players that you've seen out there he was, yeah he, he's uh he's atop the list all time of digs and uh mm-hmm. jackie's um atop the list all time for women's mm-hmm. um so their names are both prominent in the in the blues archives jackie yeah. by the way she has like over 500 more uh digs than the next closest <laughs> person like so she yeah. she must have taught you a thing or two about being a libero uh, yeah, yeah, she, I, I have no shame in saying she is much better at volleyball than I am at being <laughs> libero. Um, yeah, she never really gave me any direct pointers, um, uh. but definitely told me when I was doing things wrong. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, were, um, we were very good about that in our, in our careers was telling each other when we did something wrong. Uh, ben Ricketts, our setter. I will never forget this. There was a ball that was tipped in front of me that was maybe one or two steps in front that I could have easily gone had I decided to move my body, but I just didn't. And Ben Ricketts comes from the opposite end of the court, flying in, diving to pick up that ball. And <laughs> after the rally, he looks at me and just says, do you want me to get those? <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at him. Uh, no, I'll get it. Sorry. Uh, that's funny. That's uh, good stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully this gets to all your teammates too. We're we're still trying to grow our audience, and uh, and so you know, I'm, I've, it's been great to hear you mention a lot of different names and mm-hmm. give people credit for what they were able to do and sure. the parts they played in your college career. So, um, I, I it sounds like travel has been a big part of your your life at some at point at some points. So I guess mm-hmm. you know we're hoping for good news this week on from Dr. Bonnie Henry about restrictions easing. So, a question I thought I might ask you is the next time you're able to what holiday destination is near the top of your list somewhere to go yeah uh, so one of the ones we have been planning for for a couple of years is heading to japan we definitely okay. want to go uh, up and down japan and see like the big city but also we love the the way the countryside looks over there and uh i train in martial arts in, in my my spare time and one okay. of those is a japanese martial arts so going over there is very high on my list and hopefully sneaking in some training if i can yeah. Well, that'd be a cool one. I mean, maybe they'll get the Olympics in this year. I don't know. We'll see, yeah. but, um, that'd be, that'd be a, a very cool thing to do at some point. Hopefully mm-hmm. that's doable within the not too distant future. Um, last one I'm going to ask you, do you and Jackie or yourself, or is there a, a show that you can recommend that you've binged in the past? Uh, right now we are working our way through Homeland. Okay. That, 
that is a a very good one uh, yep we don't really agree on too many shows that we watch together <laughs> right very different tastes in tv shows okay um, my netflix looks a lot different than her netflix uh-huh. but um homeland is something we both agreed on that is pretty good i mean it's got its normal first couple seasons are really good and then the lull while they plan the next few but uh definitely a good show yeah yeah that's a good one i'll put it on my list for sure um remember hearing about that when it was when it was new and i know it hasn't been for a while but uh mm-hmm. yeah we're at my home we're, we're 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 making our way through um bloodline right now oh yeah How's that? i don't know if you know about it. we love it yeah we're hooked but it, it ends after the third season and we're not sure if it's going to be resolved so um anyway we're down to the last few episodes this this long weekend we've put away a fair few a number of episodes so <laughs> um but anyway yeah homeland that's a good one i'll mark it down because we're going to need something new coming up soon here. Anyways, uh, Alex, it's been super fun catching up with you. It's been great to, uh, your memory is great for, for a lot of the details of things that happened and people you played with, and hopefully it gets to each and every one of those people. But um, I just want to thank you for, for taking a big chunk of your day to, to talk some blues volleyball. For sure. And thanks for putting all this together. You know, it's great to hear other alumni talking about uh, their experiences at CAP, kind of bringing us all together. Yeah, no, any, I've, I've, it's been super fun for me too. And I'm, I'm glad you've been able to enjoy some of the other episodes and I'll give you a heads up when this one's ready to go. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. And that's a wrap on episode five. A big thanks to Alex Pappas for joining us to talk some blues volleyball. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and continue to look for us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll be talking to you next time on the Cap U Blues Podcast.